to the Basketball Doctors Podcast. My name is Marco Lopez. I am a doctor of physical therapy and certified strength conditioning coach. My name is Gabe Ignacio. I'm a doctor of physical therapy. Our goal is to empower our listeners with evidence-based information of all things basketball. That includes injuries, recovery, rehab, nutrition, sports performance, and training. We will be interviewing key influencers to help you become a more well-rounded athlete at any skill level. Now we have one question for you. Are Are you you ready ready to ball for life? Let's get it. What's up, everyone? It's Marco from the Basketball Doctors. Today we have a special guest, Dr. Alvin BK, talking all about basketball performance, athletic development, and load management from his point of view, from what I kind of term this new realm of performance therapists. Performance therapists, for those that aren't familiar with that term, it's like a new wave of physical therapists that use a blend of strength and conditioning and add in the traditional physical therapy. So kind of best of both worlds. So Alvin, thanks for coming, taking the time to come on. It's going to be a great listen for every basketball out there athlete, regardless of their age and everything. And so uh, thanks for coming on. Tell us a little bit about yourself. First off, I just want to, you know, thank you for inviting me on the podcast. It's a, you know, it's a great opportunity to kind of also meet you and also to help other, you know, basketball players out there, help them optimize their performance while decreasing their risk of injury. So, yeah, just a little bit about myself. I'm, a, you know, born and raised in New York. I'm a physical therapist as well as a certified strength and conditioning specialist. And I also hold the board specialty in orthopedics um, and physical therapy. Uh, I played collegiate basketball for four years, did pretty well there, and um, decided, you know, to go into PT school. But the, the funny thing is when I, you know, went into PT school, I had to work with athletes, but it took me about eight years to actually dive into it. I went through a mixture of just, you know, working with them anywhere from the geriatric population to PEs and just general outpatient ortho. and um, I found that, you know, patients weren't getting better the way I, you know, wanted. So it kind of led me to just dive in a little bit in with more with um, strength and conditioning and applying those principles to my patients and then they were getting better faster. And uh, I also took those same things that I learned and applied it to myself and I saw what it was doing to my body. And it just clicked with me that, you know, I wanted to just work with higher functioning people and athletes perfect and then uh, what kind of sparked your interest in basketball specific I know you mentioned you played basketball throughout your life did you always know like hey I want to become a PT and work with basketball athletes I know you started off you know with geriatrics but then well what, uh, yeah I mean I well yeah I think I just being around the game like I, I breed it I still play it and I, I, I recognized there was like a gap between just like the skill component and the preparation that's needed to go into basketball. And, you know, growing up, all we did was play ball and no one ever stressed like the importance of, you know, mobility, flexibility and strength training. It was just all about, all right, go put hours in the gym and get some shots up, but not knowing that, okay, no, you have to be healthy in order to do that and also, added gains in the weight room in terms of strength will lead to enhanced performance and power production. So I wanted to kind of 
be that person that can also give that person, the athlete, medical advice as well as, you know, helping them with that um, strength and conditioning process as well. Damn, yeah, that's huge. That's perfect, man. We have to, I think growing up as well, we ought to play basketball nonstop. Never. I think our basketball players are allergic to the weight room. I've never seen yeah. anybody. <laughs> It's crazy because I was always that hard worker that you told me to go do something, I would do it. But like no one ever stressed like, okay, no, the importance of maintaining good ankle mobility, good hip mobility, good thoracic mobility and how those things can lead to, again, losses in energy, uh, energy production and and, and, and take it away from your performance. So when you when you when you pose it to the to the athlete in that in that manner, they take it seriously and and they don't they don't they don't feel as if you're just making them do it just to do it, just to torture them. Oh, this thing sucks, this thing hurts. But you always have to tie it back to how it's gonna help them on the court, you know, and make it as more specific as possible when possible, right? Yeah, I think that's huge the why. You know, like there's a lot of drills, you know, we can make them sweat, we can make but it all comes down to the why. Why do we do this? You know, that ensure that I think that's huge when you talk about uh, that in regards to basketball performance and talking about basketball performance, what are some things that uh, our athletes need to do well to achieve good basketball performance in regards to the body? You know, obviously they're a good jump shot, good everything, but in regards to like you talked about ankle mobility, thoracic mobility, can you elaborate a little bit more on that? Like what constitutes a perfect, not perfect, but, great performance in the basketball court physically physically there's a couple of things that i look at like you have to have the adequate mobility to get into certain positions to produce that force so whether it's you know your ankle dorsiflexion whether it's hip extension thoracic extension that way you can um, get into these positions that will allow you to you know to perform and and from a strength side of things that a lot of a lot of the kids these days have of power but no breaks right so a lot of these athletes lack eccentric control or maybe when they're in the weight room they just work on the concentric portion of each contraction but never stress okay isometrics and never stress eccentrics and they just go in just for power but they're just missing two important components in triphasic movement you know you have to be able to absorb that energy, store it and quickly transfer it. You know, so like when you when you approach it in that manner, of course they're gonna get stronger, they're gonna get better. You know, so just again, like I said, it comes back to tying those things to performance for them. Okay, letting them know why we're doing things like that, and and then talking to them about pace, about changing directions, and that's how these elite athletes are able to do it because they're strong they have no weak links you know and it's just you know it transfers better to the sport damn that's huge i like i love the point i I can't stress that enough about everyone's on right now that all gas no breaks but we need to have breaks we need to have good control that's what leads to injuries most of the injuries come with deceleration Mm -hmm. landing usually don't really Mm -hmm. see injuries going up Mm -hmm. it's always coming down that's huge talking about Always, yeah, exactly. Whatever goes up must come down. We gotta absorb force before we produce force, you know. Um, exactly. Let's talk about. I know we talked about ankle mobility, thoracic mobility. When do we start addressing that? I know you work with a lot of youth and like high school kids, college kids. When should we start addressing these mobility deficits, or like 
you know, best case scenario, let's say you have an athlete, they come to you. When do you want to have them come to you so you can kind of address these issues so they can have maintained think, development? I think as early as possible, you know, the youngest kid I work with right now is nine years old and, 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 and he plays multiple sports, but within the program, I'm teaching them how to move within the fundamental movement patterns, right? So they're squatting, so they're getting, you know, multi-joint mobility there, and they're working on thoracic extension through any type of overhead movement or overhead squat, and just trying to find compound exercises that will also build strength and maintain or improve their mobility is, is, is key. But I think that the earlier we can get those kids, get kids realizing that this stuff is important, the better because it just allows us to apply load quicker so that we don't have to spend too much time in the GPP just trying to, you know, rehab or improve mobility so that we can load. Let's, let's start it early because, you know, it, it, when, you, when, you, when you get an athlete who has a low training age, they're going to respond to very low loads anyway, right? So why not incorporate that through just fundamental movement? And, and when, you know, movement competency is, 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 is good, load it. That's huge. I think I can't stress that enough. The whole movement competency, building that as a young age. So once they're in high school, you can start adding the load, putting the bar under their back, you know, and start putting some weights in their hands. That's huge. What, what are some injuries you see because of the lack of, let's say, mobility, you know, and movement competency that you see that people come into your clinic that you see, you know, as rehab that we could have caught earlier on. I know we talk about ankle mobility, thoracic mobility, hip mobility, um, and also the ability to set load. What are some like thing, common injuries you see for basketball players that once they come into you, like we could have just addressed this earlier, you know, and prevented, um, not prevented, but increase the risk. Yeah, um, tend tendinopathy is huge, you know, whether it be Achilles tendinopathy or patello quam tendon yeah. tendinopathy. And typically, you know, I, I try to stay away from that to my athletes because I, I, I educate them on the process of, you know, being prepared to accept those loads, right? Like, so to, 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 to training so that you're never, you know, reaching your threshold, right? So, like, you're always above it right you're always preparing yourself for for more than what you're seeing in games and that's when you get tendinopathies because yeah their body can't handle those high game loads so if you kind of monitor things monitor okay their internal and external loads like how they're you know responding to the game that they had last night how they responded to your um training session then yeah you can make them more resilient to stress by just kind of modulating how you apply the stress perfect and that kind of leads to our my next question you talk about monitoring you know um kind of managing the stress and the big word is around the nba everywhere load management what do you uh what is load management for everyone that doesn't know load management can you kind of elaborate a little bit more on that so load management is basically, it's like, it's not about rest. A lot of times, you know, you see the media and I'm sure you've had conversation with your boys and friends yeah. and everybody's yeah. always oh, resting, just rest. It's load management. Yeah. No, load management is about monitoring your acute to chronic workload ratios, right? So whenever you have an acute spike in your acute 
ratio, work, workload ratio in respect to your chronic, you increase your risk of injury. Um, so it's just making sure that your, your basement, that like you see a floor never falls to the basement, right? Meaning that you maintain a certain level of fitness, okay? And that you're monitoring the progression in the lows as the weeks go by, as the, you know, even within the week, that make sure that it's undulated, that you're not having three intense days without an without adequate recovery. And also internally, making sure that the athlete recovers from the, you know, the previous training session and they're ready to train again, you know? So, and if they're not, you have to proceed accordingly. So that's what it's about, you know? Perfect. And then kind of want to elaborate a little bit more on that. How, how do you monitor their, how do you monitor that? I know you do a lot of subjective stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, how do you feel? Like what can you kind of run us through? Like, let's say you have an athlete come in, how do you go through the whole load management? Cause you know, so typically, you know, there, 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 there are expensive ways to do it using yeah. external monitors and there's monitoring yeah. like, you know, force and steps and jumps, yeah. but um, we don't have access to those things. So yeah. very simply after a training session, you'll just basically use an RPE, the rate of perceived exertion, um, and multiply that by the duration of the event. So if the RPE, let's say, was six, um, you multiply that certain units of work whatever the math is and then just monitoring that as the weeks go by and training around game days you know those will be probably the most the, the highest units of work and just yeah just you know making sure that you you know that, that acute to chronic workload ratio um hovers around 1.5 and if it does go higher it's okay if that person has a high chronic workload. So that means they can, they're able to tolerate the stress. So that, that's huge. I, mm. I love the whole tolerating the stress because we always have to maintain that. I think mm. there's this huge article that I read with like uh, Dr. Die about the knee, like mm. the whole, uh, you have to work in this envelope of function. Envelope of function. I don't know if you have you ever read that book, but it just kind of reminds me of that. You have to be in that realm to kind of maintain stress, but not go too much stress, you know? Um, I know you work mm-hmm. with a lot of athletes during season. And then let's say they have games, you know, they have high school, high school and college guys, mostly high school. They have a lot of games during the week, like two or three, right? Mm-hmm. How do you kind of, mm-hmm. um, I guess, how do you work around that? Like, you know, let's say they want to come to you you're training them, what do you do before game day? Let's say tomorrow's game day or in two days. That's the, that's kind of the, add that. that's the, that's the hardest thing because, you know, it, it's, it's tough because I have my own thing going on. And you're not always in close communication with the coach, right? Because he has his, you know, he's busy yeah. as well. So it's mainly talking to the athletes and getting an idea of how hard their practices are, how hard the games are. Um, so just to kind of get specific with that question, I have one of the one of my athletes. He's about six seven. He's pretty explosive. Probably like the best dude in that in in in, in that league. And so practices aren't hard for him, you know. So it's okay during our training sessions because I know he's not going to be challenged as much in practice. But to 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 speak on getting him ready for the game, for example, we had a you know session last week and playoffs were approaching. So I do a lot of things to just in, 
just excite his nervous system. A lot of contrast training just to improve his rate of force development, just to get him ready and wired for the game, you know? So it, it, I'll keep it light, like light on the lighter end, but maybe on the front end of the program, I'll do higher intensity, more neurologically demanding exercises. And then we go through some, let's say, loaded mobility and things to kind of just keep him fresh and his nervous system like high end. Perfect, perfect. That's that's good. That's good. Love that. Um, Adam, another question in regards to load management. As we know, mm -hmm. off season is coming up for you know mm -hmm. high schoolers, even college. I guess not college so much, but high schoolers. Yeah. What, how does load management play into the off season? Because we would think like off season, they're not going to play as much games. But I feel like now off season they actually play more games than during in season. You know, with the AU basketball circuit, nonstop yeah. like cut. What what do you kind of you know advise or give advice to you know those athletes or other coaches in regards to load management during technically the off season? But I think it's like worse than the in season off season. You know, um, how do you go through that approach? Yeah, like so the approach I'm taking with my athletes, you know, um, I'm probably going to back off a lot of like the speed work and you know more like. Yeah, yeah, more so like kind of speed work and kind of focus on, you know, restoring movement, addressing any um, injuries that occurred during the season. But I think my main focus with them will be to build strength, you know, and the cleanup technique. And I'm not going to stress any type of like interventions to improve, um, let's say, max right now because i think they need to develop a foundation first right so that they can yeah. use that closer to the season yeah au is a lot about volume and you know these guys are playing three four games in a day so yeah. i think the value oh they, 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 it, the value will be spent working on strength right now yeah like getting getting stronger these guys yeah. are like 16 17 years old they're maturing they're um yeah they, they just have to get stronger you know, that, that's what I'm going to stress with my athletes now. So that way we can use um, implements that allow for a greater load capacity to, to achieve our goals, you know? No, that's huge. I think that, I think the way we approach with our athletes as well for off season, it's like, this is our time to actually get stronger and make those gains. Um, talk to a little, talk to us more about getting stronger what movements are you really honing in i know you're you're big proponent for the foundational movements and stuff what do you kind of uh, kind of go through like a little sample not sample but like what what do you refer to get stronger in the weight room like what movements do you kind of put them through and what kind of what's your yeah. goals for that so like so like i take I, my my goal you know obviously to, to increase like the components of you know strength and high low low velocity yeah. strength and Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. But um, what I'm going to do, or what my plan is, to take a triphasic approach to their program. So maybe spend two weeks on eccentric training. So, stre so stressing the eccentric component of each contraction through again all fundamental movements, yeah. which is going to stress different components of it as we go through the block. So two weeks focus on um, eccentrics, two weeks on isometrics, and then two weeks on just concentric reactive ability. Mm -hmm. And then, right, just kind of building those foundations there, and then we can go into more of a power block and then uh, speed. Yeah. Perfect, perfect. That's huge, that's huge. The whole, uh, is it Cal Dites or Dates, the one, the big triphasic guy? Or, um, yeah, I forgot who the- Yeah, like, I like, I like, 
I forget his name offhand too, but I, I, I like his approach. Yeah, it's huge. And then talk to us a little bit more about the foundational movements, foundational lifts. What are those for the, you know, those athletes that are just getting back into training or some of the coaches? What are some lifts that you kind of like the, the foundational lifts, foundational movements per se, for those people that don't really know yeah. what those are? Yeah, definitely, 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 you know, a deadlift, a squat. Uh, a lunge variation, whether it be a step up, split squat, retro lunge, mm-hmm. uh, single leg hinge, a push up. I love the push up as opposed to the bench press. I'll program a bench press in depending on the athlete if they need to build any type of muscle mass. That's a good way to do it. But I prefer a loaded push up, either using bands or a plate. Um, an inverted row is my go to. Being able to pull your body weight, I think, is um, key. That. Yeah. That. And then I love working out at a half kneeling position, working any type of accessory work from there, whether it's a dumbbell or kettlebell press or a horizontal push or horizontal pull and half kneeling. And um, I'll occasionally throw in some supine work too. That's to kind of make sure that they're not losing their ability to maintain stiffness in the supine position. And maybe I'll program that towards the end of the session when, you know, energy is lacking. So I follow kind of like a, you know, traditional seven, you know, fundamental movements there. But then I try to kind of bounce back and forth from maybe go from an upward to lower, do an A, a 1A, 1B, and just depending on the athlete and how experienced they are in the weight room. Yeah, no, that's huge. And you talk about mm-hmm. 1A, 1B. How much mm-hmm. time do you, do you recommend for athletes to be in the gym? You know, some people mm-hmm. are like, uh, rest in peace, Kobe, but, you know, the mama mentality, I'm going to be in there for three, four hours in the weight room. What do you recommend? I mean, how much time should be spent in the actual weight room a day, you know? Yeah, it depends on the athlete. You know, with my high school athletes, an hour tops, you know, and prioritize. So, like, this time around, we're going to prioritize strength within that one within that hour um, and maybe put, like, some of the reactive stuff to the back burner and spend most of the time just getting stronger. You know, um, so I would say about an hour. Realistically, these high school kids don't have a lot of time. So you have to prioritize what's going to give you more return on your investment, you know, and, 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 and that ROI will change depending on the phase, right, and where we are during the annual year. So I would say hour during the summertime, we could probably push it to an hour and a half or but yeah. anything more than that for a high school athlete, I think would be overkill. Yeah. Yeah. Is- <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, what are, uh, I know we are talking about all this, like, strengthening foundational movements. What are some simple tips that you recommend for, I, I know it's hard to say, you know, for every basketball athlete, because I know every athlete's different. Everyone has different mobility, different points. But what are some t- general tips that you give out there, you know, for all the people that are listening right now, athletes-wise, any high school, college athlete, for this offseason? What do you recommend for them to kind of do in the weight room, you know, rehab, prehab? what's your kind of biggest tips that you kind of recommend all these athletes to kind of go through or like self-check assessments and stuff like that? Yeah, I think, I think a a good kind of catch all self um, check assessment is the overhead squat. You know, when you're overhead squatting, you should be able to maintain uh, your trunk that's perpendicular to the ground with your arms in line with your, your, your ears, um, your thighs breaking parallel, your toes not splaying out. Because um, that will give you kind of an idea as to how your, your, your body is working together. You know, it gives you an idea of the kinetic chain. And, 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 and actually just doing that movement is a great mobilization. So I would kind of, you know, 
suggest that every athlete to some degree, and it doesn't have to be with the barbell. Like I have my younger athletes overhead squat with a, a, a heavy resistance band or a light resistance band and, you know, tailored to what they can handle. Um, of course, I love deadlifting, I, you know, um, squatting. I love that squatting and um, any type of single leg exercise, which is huge for change of directions, you know? So like some argue that the single leg exercise is more important than the squat depending on who you speak to, but um, uh, single leg strength is is huge in basketball, you know? So just make sure you're strong on one leg in all three phases of the contraction. And core, you can't forget about core. Without a strong, stiff core, you can't transfer energy. You you can't be powerful that you have energy links. So focus on the core as well. Perfect, I love that. I love the whole single leg stuff. I'm huge on single leg because basketball is all about single leg movements, you know, boom, boom, you're moving, changing direction. But you have to kind of build that base to foundation as well with the double leg movements, like you mentioned. Exactly. And, and then core, I love the whole core thing because I think we always sometimes forget about it, but that's how you transfer energy from the ground up, you know. To, mm-hmm. and, you, and I think you make a big point on energy leakage. You don't want any energy to slip through the, the leaks, you know. You want to kind of maintain as much as you can. What's up? Mm-hmm. Um, Last question in regards to the off season, what are some mobility stuff? I know you talked about ankle mobility, thoracic mobility. What are some tips that you kind of give, like top three tips that you would give every basketball athlete to do, you know, right before going to bed or right before working out, you know, some <laughs> little things. I know all of them, they're, they always come to us like, man, I'm so stiff and everything. And I asked him, like, what are you doing for it? He's like, you know, once in a while I stretch. Like, what do you, what do you recommend, Alvin? You know, I think I, I recommend sometimes just like mobility. There's kind of like go-tos that I give, you know, for yeah. the thoracic spine, hip, and ankle. I like the half kneeling, you know, knee mobility. And this is independent of obviously just deep squatting and moving into movements or strengthening into move into your restrictions. But just for general, just mobility before bed. I love the greatest stretch effort. Like, you know, gets like multi kills multiple birds, one stone. Yeah. Um, half kneeling. Uh, dorsiflexion, mobilization. I love cat cows. <laughs> I give a lot of cat cows just to kind of teach people how to, you know, just control their spine and to move from not just their lumbar spine, but their T-spine, right? A lot of times when you give cat cow, they hinge from that lower back and just how to segmentally control their spine is huge. That, that's perfect. That's perfect. Man, that's, that's some good stuff. Yeah. It's kind of ended towards here. Tell us a fun fact about yourself. I mean, and people don't know just by looking at your profile, LinkedIn profile, you know, something that we don't know. What's a, what's a cool fun fact for everyone fun listening? Fact. Fun fact, I, don't, I, I can't swim. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> uh, about, what's that? Oh, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a horrible swimmer. Um, when I first started working as a physical therapist, I somehow got um, talked into doing a triathlon. Yeah. And um, let's just say it didn't go well. <laughs> so, yeah, I thought that I was going to learn how to swim and then do an open water triathlon in, uh, in Hawaii. Yeah, it, it, was, it wasn't fun. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, you got to stick to the land, right? Stick yeah, it's the land. I'll just stick to basketball. I'll leave the, tri- yeah, the, 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 the triathlons to someone else. <laughs> Man, uh, just to end it here, tell us more information regarding your business, you know, what you do and where people could find you, you know, kind of tell us more about it, you know, 
about that. So right now I'm um, a partner and clinical director at Synergy Physical Therapy, and I do most of my outpatient orthopedic stuff and some sports rehab there. Um, and through uh, company DK Physical Therapy, that's where I do kind of like the performance training, the load management counseling, and strength and conditioning through ADPT. And right now I operate that mobily, whether it's in um, in private gyms throughout the city or um, just you know, basketball courts throughout the city. We're in the process of finding space to kind of make AD, give, give ADPT a home. So you guys can look out for that. But um, yeah, so typically I try to accommodate the, the athlete, whether they come to see me at Synergy or I, we find a place that's conducive for both of us. Um, people can find me on Instagram um, at Dr. Alvin DK. Um, the website is also in the works too. So look out for that. But um, yeah, if you if you have any questions or if you want to reach out for a consultation, the best way to find me is through Instagram at Dr. Alvin DK, D-I-K-E. Perfect. And then you're located in New York, right? Just to tell New York, everyone. Yeah. New York. Yeah. Perfect. So we'll include all of his information in the media notes. Um, you can find us on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook with the handle at Basketball Docs, our website, thebasketballdoctors.com, or email us at the basketball doctors at Gmail. Thank you guys for listening and following us. We hope you learned something from Alvin. He did a great talk on just load management, athletic development. I think it's gonna be huge for every athlete and coach and trainer out there. We love to continue bringing information regarding all things basketball to a mass audience. So please rate us, subscribe, comment, and tell your friends. Thanks Alvin for coming on, man. Thank you for having me, man. It was fun, it was fun.